Hello, and everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Purpose Through Pain podcast. I have an amazing guest today, Michael Unbroken. This guy, I don't even know really how to describe him, but he is an entrepreneur. He's a podcaster. He uh, is a coach, a mentor, and he has an amazing story about uh, childhood trauma that he went through, but also he's helping people not only through his podcast, but his books that he's written, uh, number one bestseller, and the programs that he offers now on helping people get past their childhood trauma and becoming their own hero, owning their story. Michael, thank you so much and welcome to the show, my brother. Joseph, man, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this uh, for a while now, dude. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, I just, I'm blown away. You know, we all go through pain in life. Everybody experiences pain. And, yeah. you know, losing my dad and my wife, you know, all in the same month, growing up in a very abusive home, you know, I, I never compare my pain to other people. But when you read certain people's story, you're just like, oh, my God, how in the world did they make it out? And when I read your books, when I hear your story and the things that you went through, I'm like, man, mine doesn't even seem to scratch the surface. And I know you're not one of those guys that compares pain because pain is pain, no matter how you look at it, you totally. know, but you went through some pretty traumatic events in your life. And, and you know, I want you to take me that back to as, as early as you can remember it and just share some things with the audience about your childhood and what, what you experienced. Yeah, man. You know, I, I think about that a lot. If, if I were to compare myself to other people, man, I'd be in deep shit. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Indianapolis. My mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. Uh, in fact, she actually cut off my right index finger when I was only four years old. And so, I mean, that's context out the gate. I tell people that up front because it's for real shit. And, you know, hurt people hurt people. Everyone's always like, how could your mom do that? I'm like, yo, did you meet my grandma dog? And so when, when she married my stepfather when I was six, like things went to bad to worse. I mean, he was super hyper abusive. He kicked the shit out of my brothers and I, you know, he's the kind of dude who'd wake you up in the middle of the night and beat the shit out of you just because he felt like it. Yeah. And so, you know, I had massive insomnia as a kid. I couldn't sleep. I wet the bed, all signs that are, you know, growing up in a cortisol state from toxic stress. Um, when we were eight, because of their decisions financially, their drug and alcohol addictions, not knowing how to manage money, um, we kept getting evicted from where we lived. And between eight to 12 years old, I lived with 30 different families. Dude, I never knew where I was sleeping. It might be a van at some stranger's house, family, friends. You know, we slept at the church sometimes. Like, it was wild, dude. And, and you know, at 12 years old, I left the Mormon church. So this is all I'm growing up Mormon in the hood, which is really weird. Okay. And and I, I read a passage in the Book of Mormon, um, and I was like, I'm out. Uh, basically, the synopsis was, he with the dark skin will not get through the gates of heaven. And they rescinded that in 1979, and I was like, okay, whatever, I'm out. Um, and I went to war with my family over that, man. I took some beatings for that. Wow. But I just knew that I didn't want to be religious. And so I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious. But oh. at 12 years old, my after living by myself in an abandoned house for six weeks, stealing food to survive, like going to the big lots on the corner of 30th and Georgetown and like hiding food in my clothes and sneaking out the side door, I was living in this house with no electricity, no heat, nothing. And my grandma found out and she came and she took me. She actually already had adopted one of my brothers and she had come and taken me as well when this happened. 
And, you know, in some sense, Joseph, that's like a godsend, right? Because you're like, all right, somebody's here. They're going to protect me. I'm going to be a little bit safer. But dude, I'm biracial. I'm black and white. And my grandma's an old racist ass white lady from a town in Tennessee you've never heard of. So now it's like insert identity crisis. I mean, dude, my, my black friends weren't allowed in the house. Um, you know, she used the most racial language you could possibly imagine. Um, and I just started getting high, like all the time at 12 years old. Like I was, it just felt like the only way to like, it wasn't necessarily like numbing then it was more so like, man, if I just get high, I don't got to worry about all this shit. (laughs) And so I started getting stoned, popping pills. You know, I started drinking when I was 13. And by the time that I was 15, I actually got expelled from school. Like they kicked me out, dude. They were like, we're done with your ass. And so I'm like breaking into houses. I'm still in cars, getting shot at, running from the cops. I'm hurting people. Like I'm doing some gnarly stuff, dude. And, And one day, um, the guidance counselor calls me and she's like, Hey, the Dean wants to talk to you. You need to come to school. And I'm like, for what, man, you guys kicked me out. I'm not coming to school. And she's like, look, look, just, just come to school, come and meet in the library. So I'm, I'm sitting in the library and this woman who I have no idea who she is, she's sitting down across from me and she goes, I want to talk to you for a minute. And then I'm going to take you to the Dean's office. Cause I, I want you to have this experience. And someone had put my name in to get into a last chance program. And dude, I'm so glad somebody did. I still to this day, I don't know what teacher did that. I I have a feeling, but they've never confirmed nor denied. And so I end up getting into this last chance program. And at this time, being cognizant of the impact of my mother in my life and my stepfather, who they had divorced and I was with my grandmother, but they'd still pop around time to time. Um, cause my mom was in and out of rehabs, dude, like it was clockwork. Wow. And, and I put a restraining order on both of them at 15 years old. I was 14 or 15. It was right in that window. And I went down to the courthouse. I had my grandma co-sign. I put a restraining order on them. What was, was that something that you thought of or yes, kind of it was my idea. Was, okay. Yep. But, because ordered by your grandmother. Yes. Well, and, and so it came from Dude, again, my stepfather kicked the shit out of us all the time. Like he yeah. was super violent. Yeah. And and my mom would do the same. And it was like, I, I remember I sat down with my grandma one day and I was like, I need these guys out of my life for real. Or right. Joseph, I've only ever said this like twice on a podcast. I was like, I told my grandma straight up. I was like, I'm going to fucking kill them. Yeah. Yeah. And I meant it, dude. Right. Let me ask you a question. What, of course, you were already into drugs. You're already into drinking. What yep. kept you? from walking in that same pattern of the abuse that you were raised with. Yeah. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story and you'll see. Yeah. Because okay. I, I, I want to create this context about this journey because I'm going to make a really important point in a minute. And so I get this restraining order. It turns out from there, I actually get um, straight A's for the first time in my life. I literally posted the report card on social media. It's there, fucking proof. I got wow. straight A's. And, and I'm in this last chance program learning. This is important. I'm learning how to write resumes and cover letters and do mock interviews and like all these things. It's crazy. It's totally different than regular school. And, and then my grandmother lets my mom move back in. My mom had got sober finally first time in my whole childhood and she moved back in. And what I didn't understand, Joseph, that I understand now, the moment my mom moved in, like she went to her 
self-soothing behaviors of drugs and alcohol. And she was back to being a full-blown alcoholic within a month. And you can watch my grades go from that to straight Fs. Wow. And, and I, I, I get a call from my girlfriend, my senior year of high school. We're like a week away from graduating. We're three days away. In fact, she calls me and she's like, um, you're not graduating. And I was like, fuck. Cause I like, I knew, dude, I knew, but I was just like waiting to find out. <laughs> and I go to school and I go up to Mr. Bush's classroom and my business teacher, ironies of all ironies. I walk up to him and I go, dude, how dare you fail me? Just being an ornery 18 year old. And he goes, dude, I didn't fail you. You failed yourself. And then he taught me the most important thing anyone ever taught me. He said, if you want something in life, you have to earn it. You can't get by in your charms and your good looks. Yeah. And, and he's the only teacher who ever stood up to me. Like, I know that's a weird thing to say, but it's true. And so I had to go to summer school and I was super embarrassed, dude. I was the biggest loser in the whole school. I was a loser, man. Like capital L. I embarrassed my friends. I embarrassed my family. I embarrassed my girlfriend. I got uninvited to every graduation party. And then I get to fucking summer school, man. And this teacher pulls me aside and he goes, you know what? We're done with you. We're just going to give you your diploma. Get out. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I just suffered through the greatest embarrassment of my life. And now you're just giving me the thing that I didn't earn. Right. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm looking at my life, man. And I'm like 18 and I got this bullshit diploma that doesn't even count. And I'm working at a warehouse job. I'm putting microchips into motherboards all day long. And I'm watching the desperation in people's eyes, man. Like, you know, that place where dreams go to die. Oh yeah. You could just see it, man. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it sucked going in there every day, man. I was working bullshit job after bullshit job after bullshit job, buy here, pay here, rent a car plate, man. It was crazy. And I got fired, man. (laughs) Because I was stoned (laughs) and I'm, (laughs) and I'm sitting in my car, Joseph. And I, and I was like, you know what, man, hold on. There's, there's a solution in here somewhere. I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year legally by the time I'm 21. That legal part was super important, man, because I've been in handcuffs more times than I can count. I got multiple family members in prison for life right now. And my three childhood best friends have been murdered. Mm -hmm. Dude, I knew where I was going. And so I made that declaration. And then think about this. I had all those skills from that last chance program, how to write a resume, how to write a cover letter, how to interview. And so I just started doing that. And I landed a job at a fast food restaurant. And at 18 and a half, I had 52 people under me in a leadership role as an assistant general manager doing a million dollars in cheeseburgers and fries, dude. And of course, I made every leadership mistake you can imagine, because what do you think 18-year-olds do with other 18-year-olds? Of course. And and I was on MySpace one day to to age myself, and I'm chatting with one of my friends who actually went to my high school. He was one of my really close friends growing up. And this is like 2005, 2006, and he had just gotten like a brand new Chevy Tahoe. And I'm like, how did your dumbass get a Chevy Tahoe? And I'm like, what's the, what's the plug, man? Get me in. Like, 
<laughs> and he goes, dude, I work for an insurance company. And Joe, I got goosebumps right now. Dude. Yeah. My mind exploded because <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. Right. I didn't know that, dude, the only thing I knew was drugs and hookers and fucking fast food restaurants and warehouse jobs and assembly lines of blue collar work, which there ain't nothing wrong with that. Let me keep it straight. I've done it, but I, I didn't know I could do that thing. You always see it on TV. You know what I mean? You'd see it in the movies. I'd see these guys in suits and ties traveling, getting on airplanes. I'm like, I want to do that. But I, I didn't know it was possible for a kid like me. And so that planted a seed, man. And for the next two years, from 19 till almost 21, I must have been on 200 interviews. I must have gotten told no a bazillion times, dude. I walked into one interview. The woman shook my hand. And within two minutes, the interview was over. Like she was she was over me before she even got to know me. <laughs> And, and right around my 21st birthday, I land a job with a Fortune 10 company. No high school diploma, a bullshit one, no college education. And I cash my first check for $10,000 a week after I turned 21. What? And I, dude, look, so I thought I made this up. I swear to God, I did. And so I pulled up my old W-2. And so, all right, I might have fudged it a little bit. I made $98,600. Okay. That's a hundred thousand to me, man. <laughs> well, right. You know what I'm a hundred thousand sounds better than 98.6. Right. <laughs> and so like, cause I, dude, honestly, I thought I made it up and you know, cause when you grow up, your memory kind of changes and oh, yeah, you misremember. And so I was like, I need to prove this. I've said this like 300 times on podcasts. Like I need to know this is true. And so, you know, I'm making all this money and I'm thinking that that's the solution for all the homelessness, all the poverty, all the abuse, all wow. the stuff I've been through. It was, but but it wasn't, man. And I'm sitting here, I'm driving an $85,000 Cadillac. I'm wearing Sean John suits. I'm going to $500 dinners. I'm partying my face off. I'm not investing in myself in any capacity right. other than the bar. Right. And, and now I'm heading into 25, 26 years old. I'm 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep. I'm high from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. I'm cheating on my girlfriend. My friends hate me. One of my brothers said, never talk to me again. And I'm $42,000 in debt. Mm. Money did not solve that problem. Right. And so after what I would call the worst night of my life, I'm laying in bed. I'm smoking a joint. I'm eating chocolate cake and watching the CrossFit games. And I'm like, that's rock bottom, dude. That's rock bottom. But something weird happened as that, as that moment occurred. Like I picked myself up and I walked in the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror. And I don't know why this happened, but I had this like intense, like PTSD flashback. Wow. And I remembered being eight years old and the water company had come and turned off our water. Now, look, that was always happening. They turned off our water, turned off our heat, electricity. We're getting evicted. It's another Tuesday, right? It's really not new to me. Right. But, but this particular day, blistering hot Indiana summer day, I go in the backyard. I grab this little blue bucket and I walk across the street to our neighbor's house. And for the first time I stole water. And I remember being like, man, when I'm a grown up, this will not be my life. Right. 
And it wasn't financially, right? It wasn't in a lot of ways, but I was still that hurt, lost little yeah. boy, man. Yeah. And, and as I looked in the mirror, I asked myself a question. I got really real with myself. And I said, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer was no excuses, just results. And what that meant is I was no longer going to negotiate with myself. I was no longer going to play the fucking victim. I was no longer going to blame everybody else. Because look, Joseph, it was everybody's fault. It was your fault, my mom's fault, my community's fault, teacher's fault, Obama's fault. Like, dog, it was everybody. It was never Michael's fault. Right. It was never Michael's fault. And in that moment, in making that decision, I realized the truth. You're not culpable for the bad things that happened to you. That's not on you. That's right. That's but these right, dumbass choices you're making, this is 100% your fault. Yeah. And you need to do something about it. Right. And, and that set a trajectory. Yeah. And, and, and to comment on that, you know, a lot of people, you know, we've, we, we hear about playing victim, right? You know, we, 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 we've, we've heard about it for years. And I talk a lot about, it's like, you know, I can't, you, it wasn't your choice to be birthed by your mom. You had no, you, you had no say so in that, you know, you had say no say so in the way you were raised, yep. you know, but at some point in time, your choices led you to where you were going because you continue to make the same thing without changing anything. Once you got out of that environment, you know, so that, that man, that hits home, man, that hits home because a lot of people just, we sit there and we blame, we, we, when, when we, when instead of we, we go from blaming ourselves because of the way we were raised to then blaming everybody else by the choices we're still making, you know, you, and, you, and, uh, you, and you know what it is, the thing that people don't understand that, that I hope that they will hear what I'm about to say. And that in hearing this, they will just at least contemplate the truth in what I'm about to say. Those behaviors, the way I was treating myself, were in the same light as the way that my parents treated me. Yeah. I was hurting myself the same way they hurt me. Yeah. And so many people are. So many people are hurting themselves the same way their parents hurt them. Because here's why, dude. Think about this. It's what you know. It's what you grew up in. It's your truth. It's your reality. It's, it's what you were influenced. People say this. One, the first thing I teach my clients when they come into coaching with me, I go, all right, first we acknowledge, and then we come to realize a truth that trauma survivors and people have been through massively dark situations in their life often say this phrase, and it's easily the dumbest shit you could ever say. They say, I thrive in chaos. How many times you heard that said, man? Oh, yeah. Unbelievable amount of time. That's so dumb. Why would you not want to thrive in peace and love, compassion, empathy, sympathy, grace, companionship, joy, love? It's not that you can't have the ability to have resilience in the chaos because you kind of need that. Right. But that's not where you should thrive. Yeah. And so the first thing I try to teach and explain to people is like the reason you thrive in chaos is because when you were in your developmental years, your brain started to look at and assess the situations and scenarios that you were in for safety right. because the, the brain serves one purpose, safety. That's it. Yeah. 
But it. it doesn't care about anything else. So it starts to compartmentalize all these experiences. And whereas a normal childhood, whatever we can call normal, a child has the ability to fail with safety in their home. And in that they get the ability to learn and understand and reinforce their identity through those experiences. Someone from a traumatic household, when they fail, they get their fucking head slammed into a wall. Right. And so what do you think that they do? Well, first and foremost, because the brain looks at that as, okay, if I'm me, that's dangerous. So I can't be me because if I am me, then I am not safe. It starts to force you literally as a survival mechanism to chameleon yourself, right? To binge yourself, to be anyone other than you. Yeah. yeah. The, dude, the, the most dangerous thing I could do as a kid was have an opinion, right? And so, so you look at that now as an adult and you look at your behavior and you look at the way that people thrive in chaos. Well, of course you do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's, it's like what you were talking about, like the, the molding, so to say is like with my father, my father put me down. Nothing was ever good enough. So if I did make an a minus instead of an a plus, that wasn't good enough. You should have done better. So there was so much rejection for me that it molded my identity in terms of like, I didn't want to, when I, when I, when I was in my early twenties, even though I was in the Marine Corps, I had a chance to get into MLM, you know, and, but I didn't want to hear the word no, because the no Mm -hmm. from a cell tied everything back to the rejection I had from my dad, because it wasn't going to be good enough. So I, I learned to survive by not putting myself in the situation. But what did, what did it do? Were you selling drugs? Some of the some of the best salesmen I have ever met I've ever met were on the streets. They learned from the Truth. streets, you know, because you're just like, well, if you say no, I'm just going to go to somebody else because I'll find somebody else. Yeah, got to eat, know? man. Yeah, and for me, it was the opposite. Is I was scared to death of the word uh, of the word no because when I felt the rejection, it always came with not just the words, but it always came with something else, mm-hmm. you know, the beating. So one, it was one thing that led to another that led to another that ended up forming me to where, yeah, how did I learn how to thrive by avoiding it instead yep. of facing it? And it really wasn't thriving. I was learning a different way of surviving. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's one of the things that's really interesting about the, the human capacity to pay attention to details around survival is that we will do whatever it takes. And yeah. so for someone like you in that scenario, it's avoid conflict at all time, which then there's a really interesting dichotomy about being an enlisted person. Right. And, and it's like, well, something in you needed to face that. Right. And you found a way to face that adversity. And, and I think that for the people who are willing to face that adversity, you know, you find out who you truly are. Mm-hmm. And whereas most people will not have the willingness to do though, yeah. do so those who do are going to really find out how powerful they truly are. And, and it's a scary journey, man, that the, the, I always want to create context around this because people are like, oh, wow, your story is so crazy. And look at you now. I'm like, yo, you should have seen me between 26 and 30 years old. It yeah. was insane. Yeah. 
It was one step forward, a million steps backwards. It was, man, I'm trying everything and nothing's working. It was all the limiting beliefs and all the self-sabotage and all the hurt and the pain and the suffering and all the loss and all the reading the books and going to the conferences and getting the coach and, and, and going through the whole process and figuring out who I am. And, and that's the thing, man, like abuse, it steals your identity. Like that's, that's the crux of it. It's not, I don't, it's not the scars. It's not the burns. It's not the cuts on my body that like carry that weight. It's the identity that was stolen from me that I realized that I had to rebuild because at 27 years old, I recognized something really interesting. I had no confidence, none. And I never did. And so I had to figure out how to build confidence, but you know, then, especially, I mean, we're talking about over a decade ago, it wasn't like I could just listen to a fucking podcast. Right. Right. It, yeah. Kind of, but not really, you know, it was at the infancy and it was like, it was like yeah, there were personal development books, but I, I couldn't really align with anything. Right. And so what it became for me was I'm just going to make myself do physically hard things. That's what it came down to because I played four sports in high school and then I put on all that weight and like the, the pain of being obese finally hit me. Yeah. <laughs> and look, you've seen me in real life and in person, yeah. like I'm, I'm 210 pounds now. I am not 350 anymore. No. <laughs> right. But, but what it was is I recognized how can I heal my mind if I don't heal my body? Yeah. And yeah. so I had to like not smoke not drink, eat better food, go through the process of, of this really intensive healing journey. And from 29 to 31, man, I was battling some major illnesses because of the way I treated my body for 10 years. Right. I mean, you can't fucking smoke two packs a day and get drunk every night and expect your body to be okay. And I'm still paying the consequences of that. I'm, I mean, I'm much healthier. I'm healthiest I've probably ever been in my entire life, but like, dude, I started smoking at 12 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it, 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 in this journey, the thing that I will tell people that is so incredibly important and look, I get beat up on social about this all the time, but I'm not going to back down from it. If you want a healthy mind, you have to have a healthy body. Absolutely. Michael. I, I mean, you know, what's so ironic, you know, from a listener standpoint of view is you hear the things that you went through and people can be like, well, why didn't you change your mindset first? But it was your physical, it was the look of your physical body. And then the, 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 the PTSD episode of, of the water that brought you back to, I can't live like this anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, and I, I kind of look at it. It's crazy that God would use the look of your body instead of the way you felt in your mind, because your mind wasn't going in any direction except for downwards. You yeah. know, but it took you looking in the mirror to be like, golly, man, not only am I embarrassed, I'm unhealthy. And then, and then the, the episode of the water and just sinking back to that, it's just ironic, but you're, you're hundred percent right, man. You want a healthy mind. You've got to take care of your body. You have to, you have to have a healthy body. Yeah. I, I would argue that that's how you create a healthy mind. Like I, I really truly okay. would because it's, it's through the physical endeavor that you figure out what you're capable of. Yeah. And so in, in the beginning, like it was, I'm going to do yoga. Now right. think about this a decade ago in Indiana, you think there's <laughs> men doing yoga? Oh no. <laughs> and so, and you're right. And so what I did is I ordered yoga DVDs from diamond Dallas page, the wrestler 
Oh yeah. He had this, he had this thing called yoga for regular guys. And I just threw the DVDs because I still only had a DVD player in my DVD player. And I just started there. Yeah. And I built up my confidence and my courage. And eight years ago, I actually just found this picture the other day. It was crazy. Eight years ago, I walked into a hot yoga studio for the first time. Oh my goodness. And, and Joseph, let me tell you this. I was fucking terrified. Yeah. Like I've spoken in front of 10,000 people at Grant Cardone's events. And that is not even close to as scary as walking through that door that day. Yeah. And, and it was because I was just, I sat in my car, I got there early. And I just watched all these fit people walking in. I was like, oh my God, they're going to judge me. They're going to be like, look at this fat asshole. He's a loser. He doesn't belong here with like, you name it, man. It's so crazy. Like, I don't even like thinking about that. I got to feel gross even saying it, but that's where I was. And I sat there and I realized the truth about life is I had to make a decision. Yeah. And I walked up and I walked through that motherfucking door and I put myself in that room and I faced the discomfort. And I just kept doing it again and again and again. And my body got healthier. And then from that, it was like, I'm going to go to the gym. And then from that, it was like, I'm going to do CrossFit and Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. And I'm going to run marathons and do 75 hard and all this shit. Right. But it all started with getting a DVD. Yeah. It all started with that. It didn't start with confidence, but it ended with confidence because as you built your body, you know, you, you physically saw, you saw the physical change. And then yes. when, when we start to see the physical change, and this is why I'm a, I'm a hundred percent believer in what you're saying is when we start with the body, one, the mind will come behind it because when we think, when we think of ourselves, you know, if, if we lack the confidence of looking good or, Hey, I look sloppy or whatever the case is. And we start building that we start changing the outlook, the way people see us as well. Yeah. Because and I want to see ourselves differently. And and I want to say something incredibly important that gets lost in this conversation all the time. The confidence does not come from how my body looks. The confidence comes from the intention and the effort that I put in on the day-to-day to to move towards my goals. Yeah. Yeah. I I heard a great story not too long ago and it was, uh, it was a gentleman had hired a a health coach or a personal trainer. And uh, he says the, the personal trainer told this guy, he says, all I want you to do I want you to go to the gym. I want you to be there for five minutes and then leave. That's it. Five minutes, seven days a week, five minutes. Now, you know, you're not going to get anything done in five minutes. You're barely even warming up by the time you even get to five minutes. Okay. But that's all he would do. And he did it for seven straight weeks. And the personal trainer told me, says, I'm not trying to get you in shape right now. I'm trying to build discipline just to get you into the gym. Yeah. You know, but then as that came, the guy's like, I broke past my first five minutes. I, first, I just showed up. That was the first thing. I just showed up. And then it went to a second show up and then a third show up. And then it's the transformation of the process that you're going through of, I can make that step. I can make this. If I can make two steps, I can make three or four, you know, yep. and it, it's building. So it's, it's, it's like what you said. It's not the, the change in the body that builds the confidence. Man, it's the discipline behind it. It's the mindset behind it. It's the decisions behind it. It's the journey of just simply not giving up no matter what you face in life, man. Yep. Cause it's coming, man. Like people, you know, I, I think about this all the time. People are always like holding back. They're like, I'll do this when I'll start the podcast, when I'll leave the relationship, when I'll invest in the course, when, and it's like, dude, you might not get tomorrow. Yeah. For real. 
and and this hit me so so hard so i was i was sitting in my living room and i got a text and this was 6 years ago and um fuck dude this is always so hard to talk about but it's important and uh i found out that my best friend my childhood best friend got shot to death in his living room over a drug deal and i had not talked to him in 10 years because you remember that job i had at the burger and fries place yeah well i got him a job there too doing the same thing i did trying to help him get his life better and a month in he quit and i was so bad dude that i never talked to him again mm. And that text came in six years ago. And I was like, fuck, man, you're holding a grudge over nothing. Because my ego was so big that I felt like if he doesn't respect this thing I did for him, then he can't be my friend anymore. And Joseph, he must have reached out to me 20 fucking times, dude. Yeah. And then I, I, I just, the irony of the universe, I'd been thinking about him just the, that day. And here's that text. Mm. And, and that fucked me up bad. Wor worse than the other friends that have been murdered. Wor worse than my grandmother's death. Worse than any of the other things when it comes to time. And I realized something that day. A, I would never, ever, ever, ever get to say to him how embarrassed and sorrowful I was for the fact that I let something that didn't matter come between a brotherhood. Right. And B, that tomorrow is not a fucking guarantee. Yeah. And that if you don't operate in a relationship of changing how you understand death and time, and you move with urgency towards creating the life that you want, then when you die, the word that is going to be the last word that's uttered out of your fucking mouth is going to be regret. Yeah. And uh -huh. that is a life unlived. Yeah. W without a doubt, Michael. And, you know, and I experienced that, you know, after my wife passed away, I was, you know, going through things in the house and I ran across a journal and, uh, I remember my wife had, she was battling with depression because of her weight and things like that, you know, and she was seeing a counselor and I was hundred percent for it, you know, and we said, Hey, look, you go to your sessions. And then when it's time for me to come in, then we go together hundred percent supportive, you know, but I was also working towards what I felt as a man, I've got to provide for my family. So I was constantly working on my business, you know, grow my business. I was up two, 3 a.m. in the morning, constantly working. If I wasn't training dogs at the time, I was at home working on my computer, working on social media. And I remember her coming home. And this is what she said in her journal. She says, I came home to tell Joseph about my breakthrough that I had at the, at the therapist. And as I was talking to him, his head was buried in his computer, like if he wasn't even listening to me. And I read that after she passed away and it crushed me, Michael, it absolutely crushed me because I'm like, I heard everything that she said, but what I didn't do is I didn't pay attention yeah. to what she was saying. I was still working, you know, and even though my mind, I felt like my mind was in the right place, but it hit me. Then you never realize how much time you have to spend with someone 
until they're no longer there to spend time with, yeah. you know, and no doubt your mindset at, the, at, 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 at that time was definitely different than mine, you know, but it still had the same effect because I felt like I cried harder then than when I did when I buried my wife because I couldn't say sorry enough and I couldn't say it loud enough for her to hear me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard part, man. I mean, loss is a part of this journey. Yeah. Like it just is like, we ain't, nobody's getting out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, nobody's getting out alive, man. And it's like, you know, you think about that and you know, I got, I got unbroken tattooed on my knuckles and I was, I was on an airplane and this woman, I could, dude, she was just judging me so hard. You could just tell you just, you see me, I'm six foot four, two twenty, covered in tattoos, wearing a gold chain. I have my Tom Fords on. I might've had my 10 X necklace on that day too. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, she, her first thought was probably this dude's fucking asshole drug dealer. I hope he doesn't steal my purse. Right. And, and you know, it was just, you can tell the way people just, they situation, they move their bodies, they put their purse here, they, you know, edge over here. And I, I just looked at her and smiled, man. And I said, hello. And we had a conversation. Wow. And, and I, 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 I realized this really incredible truth about life, man, is like, you have got to be the change you want to see in the world. And that's it, brother. You have to be like, kindness is one of my values. Like it really is. And people are always like, kindness, look at you. What do you know about kindness? I'm like, everything, everything. I want to take that another step further. You have to be the change that you want to see within yourself. 100%. Because if it doesn't start within you, you'll never reach the world. Yeah. And you'll be a liar and they'll be able to see that. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know Gary Brecka. Um, he, he's an amazing human being. He said something. I, I don't think he's probably the first person in history to say it, but I give him, you know, I'll, I'll contribute to him because he's who I remember saying it. He goes, authenticity is the highest vibrating frequency known to man. Mm. And that's the same reason why, like, if you're being inauthentic, if you're full of shit, if you're a liar, if you're not showing up as the person that you know you are, people know, man. They know. They feel it. And and inauthenticity can be about these traumatic experiences and not taking ownership of it. Yeah. Because I, I remember I, I'd gotten another girlfriend had broken up with me because I cheated again because I was lying again. I'm like 26 or 27. This is that window I was telling you one step forward, a million steps back. Right. And I'm, I'm sitting with one of my friends and and it just dawned on me. I was like, dude, I'm always lying to people. I'm always trying to create a life that is not about having openness and, and an open heart and an open mind. And, and it hit me really hard because I had said something and I wish somebody would have smacked me in the face when I said this, but like, I don't know, we were kids and he, and I said the most dangerous sentence in the English dictionary in the English language, probably in the whole human language. However, you translate wherever you live. I said, this is just who I am. Mm. Joseph, man, that is the most dangerous thing you could ever say. It's the ultimate fixed mindset. This is just who I am. Well, guess what? Keep being that fucking person and watch your life stay the same. Yep. Yep. And it's not who you are. It's who you choose to be. That's keeping you there. And that's the thing people don't want to hear, man. No, they don't. 
They don't want to hear that. And I didn't want to hear it either. Like I'm raising my hand all day about that. I had so many friends be like, dude, get your shit together. But it, but it wasn't until I made the decision. And what I'm always trying to teach people is that your life can literally be different like that. 100%, dude. If you're willing, I've got to figure out who said this quote. It's in, it's, it, it's stoicism. And I want to say, that it was Marcus Aurelius, but I don't remember. So I'm going to misquote who actually said this, but they said a coward dies a thousand deaths. A courageous man dies one. Mm. And I died a thousand deaths in my twenties, man. Yeah. By not facing the truth, yeah. by not facing life, by not making the decisions to be the person that I am today. And that's the thing, man, like you have to realize, like you got to, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's ugly. It's messy. It sucks. It's not fun. It hurts. But if you don't do this, nobody else is going to, there ain't no Disney moment and nobody's coming to save your ass. So you've got to make a decision and it sucks. And I'm sorry. And you have every right in the world to play a victim. Joseph, your story, man, I know your story. You have every right to play a victim. But what are you going to do about it, man? And that's the thing like people have to hold on to. You see it all the time. I watch the desperation in people's eyes, the suffering in their eyes. I see them. I feel them, their energy, because we feel each other, man. It's just part of the human experience. Like, and anyone who argues about that isn't paying attention. Right. And when you feel that energy about that person that is in the stuckness, it's like, motherfucker, if you just make one decision differently than what you just made today, over the course of a year, you would have made 365 different decisions. And if you make 365 different decisions, your life will be different. And I'm not even, dude, I'm not even saying better. Let's be very clear about that. That's just different. Different. That's, That's it. it, man. That's it. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, Michael, it's something I've been saying for a while now, and it's something that I kind of realized through just my own podcast and just sharing my story and things like that. And, and you're right there is I believe that vulnerability, us being vulnerable, brings healing to us. Yes. But it's our transparency. And you said it, the authenticity, the, uh, the, uh, being authentic. It's the transparency that brings healing to other people. You know, because, you know, I grew up, I, not only did I grow up in a faith-based family, but I also grew up with a dad that was a 20-year uh, uh, Marine Corps veteran. I joined the Marine Corps. So everything was very hard driven to me. So my influence happens to be a way that I influence a lot. So when people are down in the dirt, sometimes just like, man, I want to stick a foot up your ass and like get you moving. But yet some people, if we don't come across in a very loving and that, that authentic way, that transparent way, that vulnerable way, people just feel like it's another beat down. Yep. Totally. You know? And they don't want to move. Totally. You know, and that's why. I, listen, I love being motivated just like anybody else does, but we know that motivation only lasts for what, 36, 48, 72 hours, you know, and then it's gone. You know, yep. it, it's, it's the influence that we have to make. It's that, like you said, is being authentic because you don't have to go far to realize someone's BSing you. Yep. You, you, you know, if you sell long enough, even something on social media or you're sharing something, you can tell who's BSing everybody. You, you, you know, and so that going back to being authentic, man, I think you hit the nail on the head about that because it's 
the world needs more people like you, not necessarily somebody that's gone through trauma, but somebody that's willing to share the story about what they've gone because you're writing your own story right now. And every, every, every story has a villain and a hero. Which one are you going to be? Yep. And, and look, man, it's hard too. And I get canceled on the internet all the time. Like, I don't care. I'm not going to stop. I'm uncancelable. You're not going to stop me because you don't <laughs> like it. the way I think. Yeah. And, and, and look, and I'll say this, cause this is really, really, really important taken out of context. People will, you could pull a single clip from anything I've said and you could post it on social yeah. and people would destroy me. Right? right. Cause context is missing. So I want people to remember this, like context is everything. Don't listen to any gurus. Don't listen to any coaches. Don't listen to any podcasts. Don't listen to any books. Don't listen to shit except what feels true for you. That's, that's it. it. That's, that's it. it. And, and part of that too is, is recognizing like you have to understand what works for you because I am, I'll kick myself in the ass all day long because I spent 26 years of my life quitting. Yeah, dude, I'm right there. And that doesn't mean I don't have compassion and grace and empathy because I do, but I can promise you when I sit here and I look at this whiteboard that you cannot see, and it is covered with tick marks for to-do lists for things that I need to do to change the world, the high-end goals, the ideas, the, the execution, the leadership things, the funnel things, the lead things, the sales things, all the things that it requires to be an entrepreneur, a business owner, and a purpose-driven person. Yeah. Those motherfucking box aren't going to tick themselves. And there are days I do not want to do this. And there are days where I don't want to show up. And there are days where I just, dude, there's nothing better than sitting at home, getting stoned, eating gummy bears, playing video games, eating pizza and hooking up with strangers. Yeah. But if I do that, is that authentic about the life that I want to create? No, of course not. And you've got to have clarity about that. You've got to. And, and that's where you start this journey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talked about just, you know, making, just doing something different once a day, every day of the year, you know, I think some people just overcomplicate, you know, when I, when, 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 when my wife and dad died, I'm just like, man, I, I didn't want to get out of bed, dude. Depression was starting to hit me. And, and I would, I would say that it wasn't, but I know that it was, you know, it was just hit me different than probably some other people, you know, and I just didn't want to do anything. I didn't feel sorry for myself. I just didn't want to do anything, you yeah. know, but I realized that man, we all, we all hear about one, three, five, 10 year goals, right? We, we've all done that at some point, our vision boards and, and different things like that. But when you go through either trauma or you're in the middle of it, you're in the middle of depression, you can't think one year at a time. Yep. Forget your three, five, seven, 10 year, whatever goals you want, man, you got to think about just, just do one thing. It may be just from laying down in bed to sitting up. Who cares about getting out of bed? Just sit up. Yeah, true. Just do, do some, and, and that's the thing. One thing different. Tomorrow, Dude. you sit up and you put your feet on the floor. Lay back down five minutes later. Truth. But do something different because that one little thing that you talked about, the next day, the next day, it's the guy going to the gym for five minutes. Eventually, he's like, I, I, I can't do this for five minutes anymore. I want more. At the beginning of this journey, man, like for real, for real, when I was like at the bottom, it was like, the one thing I could do was brush my teeth. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 
like now it's 10 years later, it's very different. The least thing I can do is brush my teeth, right? <laughs> and the least thing I can do is pop on a podcast, write a book, create another course. But dude, at the beginning, it was like, can I take a shower today? Can I take my fucking trash out? Right. right. Can I clean my bedroom? Yeah. Like, dude, I wish I had a picture somewhere of what my bedroom used to look like. Mm. Disgusting. Yeah. Disgusting. Wow. And it's like, dude, we all start somewhere. Like, don't, I'm not higher than thou. I'm not holier. I'm not mightier. I don't know shit. I don't. I'm just fucking disciplined now. Yeah. And I'm still probably not as disciplined as I could be, but then I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this compared to where I was, life is different. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Michael, where did the name think unbroken come from? So that came from about four years ago. Um, I got in this massive argument with somebody, not, not like a physical altercation, not even yelling, just an argument. Yeah. And, and they were like, you're broken. And I'm laying in bed that night, man. And I just, I can't sleep. And it was like three o'clock in the morning. And I, I, I had a blog at the time under a totally different name where I was just sharing what I was learning, hoping that it would help people. And I was posting on social and stuff. And um, it hit me. I was like, man, you know what? That's not who I am. That's not how I act. That's not how I think. And it was like a lightning bolt, man. I was just like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. This is what it is. I'm supposed to be sharing my story and the tools that I've learned to get myself unstuck, to be the hero of my own story with people who are trapped. Yeah. And all these years later, here I am. And, you know, from that, it's been incredible. It's been having a business partner and an investment in Grant Cardone. It's speaking on the biggest stages in the world. It's having people on my podcast, like Tim Story, Tom Bilyeu, Anna Lamke, Caroline Leaf, being a guest on shows like um, this, which I freaking love your show and what you do, like Ask Gary V, Entrepreneurs on Fire. It's writing a best-selling book when motherfucking 100 agents told me no. Yeah. Right. It's having a top 10 podcast in the world. When I first started the show under a blanket, holding a zoom recorder under my desk, cause I didn't know what I was doing. And it was just like, everything is just about one step at a time and recognizing like think unbroken is literal. Yeah. It's a literal thing. If you do not change the way you think nothing about your life will be different. And it's all about understanding causation and correlation, creating reframes and giving yourself the space and the grace to fail, knowing that every failure is going to lead you to better understanding who you are. And instead of beating yourself up about it, you simply acknowledge it and say, oh, I learned something today. Right. Yeah. Michael, what's something that you can share with the audience? Like, you know, I mean, you've been through some hell, you know, we, we all go through it, you know, but what would be some tips or what would be your encouragement to them if they find their, themselves in a dark place, whether it's relative to my story, relative to yours, or even somebody else's, you know, cause we all have our own story. What's something you can share with them that helps them get them out of where the way they're thinking and yeah. where they're at. Go back and listen to this. The tools are right here. Pay attention. 
But most importantly, like that's that's an easy answer, right? There's a lot. We covered a lot here. There's a lot of practicality in what we just talked about. But it's the execution that matters. Action is a cure-all, whether you like it or not. Like people are always like, I want to run a marathon. I'm like, motherfucker, you didn't even put on your shoes yet, right? People are like, oh, I want to write a book. Dude, you didn't even write a line yet. People are like, oh, I want to heal my life. You didn't even acknowledge that something happened yet. Mm. Start where you're at and keep it real. Stop worrying about 10, 20, 50 years from now and get focused on today. Don't ruminate on the past. It's over. It's over. You cannot change it. I'm sorry. It fucking sucks, but you can't. And don't catastrophize the future because you don't think you're good enough, smart enough, or capable enough because you don't know yet because you ain't tried. And what you have to do is get massive clarity about the person that you want to be. You take a piece of paper and you write it out and you get clear about your mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, sexual, financial health. And you write down and define exactly who you are. You create your values. Who are you? What do you stand for? You identify your boundaries. What will you and will you not allow in your life? You figure out your wants, your needs, your interests. You find a community. You move towards every single day creating the life that you have that you want to have and you ask yourself and i'm telling you dude everything that i just said for the last hour is a complete waste of your time if you do not do one thing you ask yourself this question what am i willing to do to have the life that i want to have and if the answer is anything short of no excuses just results then turn this the fuck off That's good stuff, man. Dude, I, you gave me freaking chill bumps, man. I just, cause I know, I know you're real, Michael, you know, and I, I know, you know, seeing you in person and, and talking with you in person at, at, at grants, you know, and just hearing your story repeatedly guys, I, I can't tell y'all enough that Michael is not only just, you know, I think unbroken, but you know, he's the real deal. And when I say authentic, this is a man that's pouring out his heart and guys, you're, you're ruining your own life. If by not, you're making big mistakes by not taking his advice. You know, this is a man that's lived it and has gone from, you know, 30 different homes, you, you know, in, in how many months was it, Michael, just in a few, a few oh, short weeks, over, over four years, over four just years. Okay. Always bouncing. Yeah. To, not, homeless when people think homeless are thinking of just living under a bridge and that's it you know but you bounced around the emotional the emotions behind that i mean the the influence behind that that you had you know but yet you you found a way to be where you're at now and i know your story is not done i i i can't wait to a year from now to see where you're at you, you know because i i know you're not going to be in the same place even though you would probably say you're in a really really great place right now you know yeah. um michael where You've written a book. You've written more than one book. Um, you know, you've got your podcast. What is the best way that people can find you? Is it going to your podcast? You want to take this time and just share what you want to with people and how they can get connected with you. Yeah, man. Um, I'm everyone social at Michael Unbroken. Um, and my team does not check my social media. I am the only one. And so if you DM me, and that's because sometimes people send me some heavy shit, I'm the only person who will see it. So you're welcome to reach out to me at Michael and Broken on all the socials. 
Everything I teach is literally for free. If you go to the Think Unbroken podcast, look up Think Unbroken podcast on YouTube or thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. Um, and my books are free. Everything's free. Literally all of it. It's free. And, and guys, just to say something about his book is I read his book, not only for myself, but also things that I can learn from when it comes to my clients. And I've already actually already referred several people to his book because of men seem to be a harder people to break through emotionally, especially with a man on man than women. Women seem to open up a lot quicker, you know, so knowing that this has come from a man, I actually use Michael's content in his books um, as a way to, uh, to help people out because I know it's something that's helped me out. So brother, I can't thank you enough for, for what sure. you've done, you know, um, taking, not, not being a victim of your story, but truly being a victor, being prestigious, you know, in, in what you do and, and, and being a hero, learning to understand how to be a hero of your own story. You know, I like to say, I'm still learning how to be mine, you Same. know, and, um, uh, brother, I'm I'm glad to call you a friend and uh, True. truly, you know, truly honored that you would come onto the show. And just, I can't thank you enough, brother. Yeah. Anytime, my friend, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm proud of you and what you do, man. It's great to to be a part of this and be a part of what you're trying to do and create in the world and be in that amount of alignment. And so, so it's an honor and anytime, brother. Thank you, my friend.